you think that you published a book Said it's not a big deal, all you need is a hook Then you lie about your age so you don't seem dated A call from your agent and boom, you made it So sorry we think you're a liar, we're older and wiser Hello everyone and welcome to Older and Wiser A podcast about all things publishing and younger I'm your host Marissa Cantor and with me as always is Kelsey Rodkey Hey Kelsey Hi, Marissa. How are you? I am doing great. Um, This is a great episode of Younger. It's very publishing heavy and chaotic. And I am so excited that we have a guest to unpack it all with. Here with us today is Shelly Romero. Shelly is a children's book editor who is passionate about horror movies, attending concerts, and spending way too much time on Twitter. Same. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey Shelly. Attending hey, attending concerts when it's not a pandemic. Um, I'm desperately missing concerts. <laughs> oh my god. Same. Yeah, no, nobody's going to concerts right now. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, I'm hoping I have MCR tickets. This is like a fun fact about me. I got like my chemical romance reunion like tour tickets back in like January 2020. And then oh the yeah. pandemic. <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah. I was just thinking like, oh, wow, they must have rescheduled that. But wow. No, they did. They did. They rescheduled to September 11th this year. So fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. I tried to see MCR when I was 15. We drove two and a half hours to find out that the band had food poisoning and we had to turn around. <laughs> oh, oh no. no. That's even worse because it's like you were like getting there and it was like their fault. Yeah, I was hyped the whole time. (laughs) Disaster. Anywho, younger. First, I always like to ask our guests uh, their relationship to younger. And like, did you were you watching it from the Mm -hmm. beginning? Did you join a bit later and binge it? Um, What is your younger journey? I think I I joined a bit later. I'm trying to remember who's the one who told me I had to watch it. I think it was like maybe it was several friends who were like, oh, my God, you have to watch the show. It's like ridiculous. And it's like about publishing, but it's like really, really like not actual publishing. Uh, but it's, it has Hilary Duff. And I was like, okay. And people would be like, Sutton Foster. I'm like, I don't know who Sutton Foster is. I'm like, so sorry. Um, (laughs) Now I know. Uh, And so, yeah, I just remember I ended up binging it like through season four or five. And so I've been caught up since then. And I absolutely loved it. I'm like, this is downright ridiculous. It did take me a few episodes to kind of get in the groove of it. But by the end of season one, I'm like, yes, like I love this show. And I was... um, always talking to my one of my bosses about it and I actually convinced her to watch it. Um, so I got her into it too. <laughs> That's so funny. It really is such a universal topic of conversation in the publishing industry, I feel like, is just like talking about younger. It's a nice point of entry. <laughs> it's, nice- it's always like, a, oh no, this is absolutely not right. Like, yeah, on the author side, this we're always like, this is why people think that authors are rich and why. And why they're confused why your book won't come out in the next month when you just get the deal. Yeah, because like Kelsey's always here talking like, just send me your pages, send me your pages. And I'm like, pages, chapters, I As want the, the, whole, the whole book. <laughs> 
absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, Kelsey as an editor, I mean, we'll get into that because I have a lot of questions. Uh, she is a walking red flag of an editor. There's just so much. <laughs> I think that in terms of this episode, we should just jump right in. I'll tee us up. It is so chaotic. It's everything I love and hate about Younger all at once. Today, we are talking about Younger Season 1, Episode 10, The Boy with the Dragon Tattoo. In this episode, after a bedbug scare forces Liza into some uncomfortable and illuminating sleeping arrangements, she struggles to close the deal on her first literary find. I feel like these episode descriptions are just <laughs> terrible. <laughs> they really are. Like, they're either like that where you're like, what? Or they're like one line and you're just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I don't think I've ever met an episode description that I liked like that made me want to watch the episode. Grey's Anatomy is actually really bad at this. Like I never want to watch an episode of Grey's Anatomy based off of the description. It is what it is, I guess. Yeah, struggles to close the deal is quite a euphemism for finds an <laughs> author who plagiarized an entire I'm, book. It's, I'm putting it nicely. Wow, incredible. But yeah, before we get into that, we typically start with relationships and this episode is all about Josh and his tattoo. Okay, I'm going to just say real quick up front that I have an incredible bias against Josh, so this is going to totally paint all of this. <gasps> Ooh, <okay>. I <laughs> do not like Josh. <laughs> this is fascinating. Um, can you tell us why? Uh, oh. <laughs> and you there's so much. Let me pull out the scrolls because like, <laughs> I know he's like, my, he's my age. Well, I started the show like when I was a few years younger than like where he's at, where like Liza's supposed to be at in the show. But like now I am like, I turned 26 in December and I'm like, he's still like annoying. Like he is that hipster <laughs> Brooklyn. Can I cuss? Sure. Fuck boy. <laughs> like nonsense that I see. Josh has that cute haircut and he has tattoos. Honestly, like one of my tattoo artists has the same haircut and actually tattoos in Brooklyn. I'm just like, I just like hate him. Like, I feel like he's immature. He is not like intellectually compatible, in my opinion, to, wow, I just forgot her name, Liza. Liza. There's just so much that bothers me. Like he's always flipping back and forth. I get that she's freaking messy as hell and she should know better because she's in her 40s, but he still feels like such a dick. Wow, Shelly here dropping bombs. <laughs> Listen, and getting a tattoo of a like based off of like a relationship that you've had two weeks in and barely know this person, I'm like, absolutely not. This is why laser tattoo removal was invented. <laughs> and like, not I'm to mention he... that it's like cultural appropriation on top of it. It's not even oh accurate. It's not it's her like, birth year. <laughs> right. It's like I mean, at least it wasn't, like, her name, like, in a heart with, like, a ribbon, like, whatever, yeah. like, Liza. But, uh, but like, still, it's, like, something attached to her. I'm someone who has, like, a lot of tattoos. It is a fine line getting some a tattoo of something that, like, is really recognizable or is, like, related to someone else because of so many reasons that could go wrong. <laughs> yeah, that would be a major red flag. Right? 
And I'm like, I've been with my husband for like 10 years and I would never get something tattooed with like his name or anything related to him. Absolutely not. And this was Josh's response to Liza being upset that they weren't saying that they were together. Like they're just hanging out. And he said, right? no, this is more than hanging out. I got your birth year icon tattooed. On me. Yeah. Let's like go back to that part in the episode because wow. Like again, fuck boy nonsense of Josh. First of all, knowing that he's bringing Liza over to stay because she's got like potential bed bugs situation which is uh new york like <laughs> horrific but he doesn't one have him and his roommates clean up like two they're just like a mess and then on top of that like other friends are staying the weekend in this tiny ass brooklyn apartment make it make sense and then on top of that he's like yeah you know we're just uh hanging out I think the the thing that bothers me the most about him saying that they're hanging out is that he never at any point really explains why he said that or how he actually feels. He like avoids it by getting a tattoo. You know, he asks his friends like, did I mess that up? And they say yes. Liza also never asks him what's going on with them. But they both really avoid answering the question that's on both of their minds. And it's kind of immature of both of them. Oh, yeah. Liza... sorry there's like no room to talk for Liza either because there's no communication in this relationship whatsoever I think it's because of the lies (laughs) yeah the lies but yeah Josh thinks that the definition of I'm committed to you is branding himself like imagine just being like yeah I'm your boyfriend if you want that (laughs) instead of a permanent thing on your body we view him as a himbo but you're making some solid points I, mm, you know, I feel like one of the characteristics needed to be a himbo is that you've got to be like, just like earnest and cute and like, and he's not like, he's just (laughs) not because he's like a dick. Yeah, see, I don't see that. But maybe that's because I've only rewatched the first season right now. And he's seemed super nice in the first season to me, at least. He's not a himbo to me. This is hilarious to me just because Kelsey is so strongly team Josh. And I like am pretty in the middle leaning toward Charles as a better match for Liza. Definitely in the middle of like the season like three, four, five. Season six gets kind of ugh. Yeah, I don't know. Kelsey gives me a lot of shit for being more team Charles Charles and I feel really validated right now. (laughs) I think Charles is just creepy. You know, Shelly didn't say she liked Charles. She said she didn't like Josh. That's fair. Yeah, I didn't say I like Charles (laughs) for Liza. Like, I guess when I was first starting the show and like watching it, I was like, oh my God, obviously, like I really like Charles. But then you start really thinking about it and you're like, he was falling and flirting for someone he thought was not only 26, but a subordinate in his company Mm -hmm. in which he is CEO and he has a lot of power. And this is like a really horrifying dynamic, not just in publishing, but in like any company where powerful white men are in charge and that they prey upon the younger, you know, like women at their company. I still like going back and I did a recent rewatch. I was like, I'm less team Charles. Now I'm just kind of like team Liza needs to get her shit together first. Yes. 
that's firmly my first team. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And we've talked about it a lot on the podcast that it's not about the age gap with them. It is truly about the power dynamics and just how, yeah. how gross it is. Because like for all this time, he thought she was in her 20s. Ugh. And I can't, I can't kind of move past that. And plus, he also was like, pretty much like a dick to her. And I get like, this was like a really big lie. Like this is a huge thing that could, of course, it's going to bubble out and become like, even more of a bigger thing and a scandal towards his company. But at the same time, like there is so much ageism that happens. But like, whatever. He just like reacts so weird with her. Like he retaliates in the workplace. That's another issue. That happens later, but you know, whatever. Spoilers. <laughs> Getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, it, it's been really interesting to see how my feelings have changed. Just also as I've gotten older, it hits different as a mid-20s publishing professional. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm I'm still like cooling off from all of all of those takes, honestly. <laughs> I I love it. <laughs> Is there anybody else worth mentioning in this episode? There's the no. whole thing where, oh, there is something I want to talk about. I think the most realistic thing about season one and like anything we've watched so far in this show is this whole subplot where we learn that Kelsey lives with Lauren oh my, and her parents. Yes, I want to talk about this. Oh my God. Also, I love Kathy and Jimmy. Like she is fabulous. I yes. love like Lauren is definitely one of my favorite characters. I feel like I have a bit of Lauren energy, but yeah, I noted this down. I was like, this is the most realistic. However, this is also like, this feels to me like realistic in the sense of Lauren's generation, like generational wealth and that, you know, she's able to be in this swanky apartment who they have a maid who, ugh, unfortunately, assuming because of the name Rosa is that she's Latinx, which is great. Love it. Have, you know, these these white people having, uh, you know, the Latina maid who is not even shown. She's only mentioned. But this very much feels like the very privileged side of publishing where you either have the wealth to back it up and to come into this industry where starting salaries were only just like months ago raised to barely livable. Like, and the fact that, yeah, like you are needing to have multiple roommates in order to kind of survive. I had two roommates after I did the NYU summer publishing program. I had two roommates from that program and a little bit of money as like a safety net in order to try to find a job. And I lived with those roommates for uh, uh, for a year after the program. And then like my husband, who was my fiance at the time, moved the next year. So that's how I was able to like move out of that situation of having to have roommates. In New York. And you know what? We lived in Ridgewood, Queens, which was pretty decently affordable. But now it's like quickly gentrifying, has like high rises, like in uh, Williamsburg. So I absolutely love this part of the episode, but it definitely feels like wealthy white girl who works in media or in, you know, fashion or in publishing who is able to save up money and have more money because she lives with her parents. And Kelsey, too. Yeah. I mean, she's she's saving money. She's always yeah, going out. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Previously, we didn't know about her living situation. She's just constantly going out. But then, you know, she says, like, she's making a terrible salary in publishing. But you know what? It's completely privileged for her to be able to live with her friends and her friend's parents seemingly for free with a maid. She's living essentially like a high schooler with 
<laughs> no boundaries, yeah. no limits. Yeah, it's, it's, exactly. It's, it's such a, it's so privileged to start mm-hmm. with. No, it really is. And like, I also am someone who like pre-pandemic once upon a time was also going out, but like <laughs> I, I acknowledge and I have talked about this of like, my husband works in gaming. And so his salary, he's like a programmer. He, his salary is like twice mine, right? And there's this like, I feel like in publishing, there was this old, and I think it still happens of this whole mentality of like, you either have to have money or you have to marry money because this is a passion industry and yeah. you're doing it for the books and not the money. And it's like, no, <laughs> I, you know what? I like a little bit of capitalism as a tree and I would like to make money. <laughs> yeah, there should be a both. <laughs> Definitely, because you, the publisher, are making, you know, a boatload of money and profiting off of our labor. Therefore, yeah, pay your employees. <sighs> but yeah, this whole this whole subplot is just so reflective of why publishing is the way it is and why it looks the way it does. Mm-hmm. And. It's a, you know, it's a small part of the episode, but there really is a lot of truth and a lot to critique and unpack about that. No, there really is. Yeah. Oh, and of note, Kelsey lives with Lauren and not her scummy boyfriend. (laughs) A good choice, probably. It's not hard out there for Kelsey. (laughs) No, it really is not. (laughs) That's why apparently she can be an editor and live in New York and (laughs) she doesn't sell any books. I'm sorry, she doesn't buy any books. Yeah, and I think that that is a good transition into publishing. And Shelly, you are an editor. Let's talk about Kelsey, yes. the editor. Ooh, wow. <laughs> you know what? I'm so glad you asked because <laughs> first of all, when she's like sleeping with her authors, I'm like, Christ. <laughs> And you know what? It doesn't even just happen in like this season or in like one time. It happens multiple times. And I'm just like, absolutely not. Boundaries. Like, <laughs> like it's it's really like I will admit, like, it is a like a fine line to balance of being an editor and then being friends with like authors and then like also working with like authors who are like your friends. Because it like you have to set up those boundaries of like. I'm going to text you, but we're not going to really talk about, we're not going to text about like your line edits, right? Like we will have a phone call if you need to have like a phone call or something like that. Or, you know, when we, you know, talk, it's, I don't like, I have a lot of friends who like, you know, are writers and they go out on sub and I'm like, I'm kind of just like, oh my God, please don't tell them that I have their book just in case. Like, I feel like I don't want to like you know it it feels like boundaries and then Kelsey is not even like watching out for that she just goes full throttle into like sleeping with her authors like what the heck um her first acquisition she just jumps into bed with him yeah though it seems like it's not her first acquisition I feel like she's like more higher up I can't remember what her title is. I think she's just an editor right now, right? She's a junior editor. She says she got a promotion within the last year to junior editor. Which, that doesn't make any sense. Like, she's either (laughs) an associate editor (laughs) or an assistant editor. Um, I would peg maybe she's an associate editor. Like, when you start an editorial, it's a very apprentice-like position. And so you really grow from being an editorial assistant up and so 
you can start acquiring at kind of any point in your career, just depending on like your bosses and stuff. Like I technically was starting to acquire when I was like in summer 2019 and I was still an editorial assistant. Um, and then I got promoted to assistant editor like December 2019. So yeah, she could be like any one of those different editorial positions. I just don't know. What is she actually doing? Getting coffee all the time at work, which yeah, I get. We, we don't <laughs> see anybody else in the editorial department except right. for her. We never do. It's just her. Who is mentoring Kelsey? Clearly nobody. Nobody. And you know what? That explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I also like want to mention this. There's a mention of like the slush pile, which I'm just like, <laughs> good Lord. Most publishers nowadays do not have slush piles, like physical slush piles. You know, it's all done digitally. It's all done, you know, some some people, some publishers do open up for unagented, unsolicited manuscripts and usually it goes through like submittable or like one specific inbox, whatever happens. But most, like the majority of publishers, and that's also like my stance, like I only accept agented submissions. I only work with agented authors. There, you know, are some rarities um, out there, but those are more like outliers. And I only open up for unagented if I'd like do a conference for a couple months to conference attendees. Wait a second, Shelly. So you are telling us that there is no <laughs> physical slush pile with manuscripts just strewn on desks that what (laughs) no actually I feel like back in the day there was like everything was all snail mail but you know technology yes so you mentioned you don't uh work with authors that don't have agents um Mm -hmm. now in this episode the author that Liza discovers is unagented (laughs) and perhaps the plagiarism that she does would have been uh nixed earlier on had she gone for an agent first how do we feel about the process of acquiring this book that they that they showed us in the episode i feel like it's your nothing like it shenanigans <laughs> yeah. let me tell you they start by like because they put it in the previous episode they put it up like on goodreads or something to drive up hype absolutely yeah. not there is no way in hell a unpublished book by some random white woman from Yonkers is going up on Goodreads in order to drive up hype. That is not a thing that happens. Like mo- like the books up on Goodreads are books that are about to be published or are published. Like, yes. and that gets fed by like the good uh, Goodreads librarians, but they all- that also gets pulled from the metadata and stuff that we put out um, in, you know, our- from our fact sheets or they're also called tip sheets that editors do um, that has like all the information, right? So I feel like plagiarism does happen a lot, actually. Like it, I don't think it happens as much as we like, as it feels like it, but it does happen still. And I would like to say that this author, I forget her name, whatever, has gone to the Dan Mallory School of Scamming and Plagiarism (laughs) to bring up one of my favorite publishing scandals. Like, it happens. Like Dan Mallory, who's also known as uh, AJ Finn, wrote The Woman in the Window or whatever, like plagiar- plagiarized, I think, some bits. And then also was just like a hell of a liar. So, and this, you know, this person rose up the ranks at 
a big five publisher and then he also published a new york times bestselling book that got turned or is getting turned into a movie i don't even know oh my god <laughs> so the scarf being play- plagiarized off of the babushka that kind of felt like yeah that actually is a little bit more plausible yeah and the fact that you know kelsey says in the episode that they did all their normal checks to make sure it wasn't plagiarized but the whole entire first sentence is plagiarized don't you think that would have been the thing you you check first yeah I don't even know what kind of like protocols like they would have done like I I'm I actually very curious that. yeah <laughs> I haven't like and maybe this is just me like I haven't done anything to be like oh this is plagiarism like what would what are they going to do like submit the book through turn it in maybe um so I'm actually kind of curious of what that meant it might have just been like another younger thing um and I wonder if like there is actually someone who can talk about like the vetting process of you know when a book gets accused of being plagiarized like how that goes about and like the investigation into it I'd be very curious into that but I also want to, oh my God, this is my, one of my favorite things I'm going to point this out because I love, I love drama. I love, love drama. Um, Kelsey, as an, <laughs> telling this lady, you could be the next, uh, this could be the next, the help. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I was like, no, like, I was like, absolutely not. Take me out of here. Take me out of this whole situation. I uh, am not a fan, not a fan at all. Um. But you know what? Whatever. Here we are. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, what is this book even? Why are we so supposed to be so excited about a book that's about a Confederate soldier and his family? And then we learn that it's plagiarized and actually about a Jewish family during yeah. like the Holocaust. Like, what? That actually yeah. feels very realistic. <laughs> No, like, yeah, I I think that that's why I said the plagiarism definitely feels like the more realistic part of this episode. Yeah, just like taking taking something that was like completely one thing and trying to make it into something that you can call your own and like slap a sticker on it. Like, I feel like that happens so much. Yeah, and there's a difference between plagiarizing and doing, say, a retelling or something inspired by something else. Like, yeah. This woman not only yeah. plagiarized the book, but then she like made up this story about how she had one hour a day to write, and it took her 12 years. And she was like ready. She was like press ready, ready to tell everybody her story, her journey, and it was – I mean, it might have been real because she said she tried 13 other manuscripts, but it feels fake. People who are like scammers like this in publishing always have things at the ready. Like we've yeah. seen this happen. Like I mentioned, this is the Dan Mallory with American, like the American Dirt, like backstory. Um, and then like, you know, like Lonnie Serum and like Handbook for Mortals, like <laughs> happens, has happened way, you know. I have like if I had a nickel for every time that this has happened, it, I'd have three nickels <laughs> so far from like my own mindset, and that's just three nickels too yeah, many. Yeah, good point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to like the point about like why this book about like a Confederate like soldier or whatever, I feel like this is very much. Oh my god, I'm gonna like maybe get like. Ugh. I feel like this is like literary. Yeah, it's the suburban uh, book club side of publishing. 
it's a suburban book club of like the people who are going to read the help. Absolutely. And as Diana says, it's always good to keep a finger on that suburban pulse. <laughs> I also do love that the that author, the the one who plagiarized in this episode, she like when she's talking about like, oh, how long it's taken her, like she's written like 13 novels or whatever. She's like, I've tried everything, every genre under the sun, vampire porn. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's my favorite genre. What are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> uh, I want to believe that's just like a nod to like <laughs> those vampire books. <laughs> oh my God. I do know that like Younger has like some people that like are consultants. I don't know who exactly serves as like their industry publishing consultant. I would like to know. And I would also like to sign myself up. Yes. <laughs> Allegedly. We have cause... a lot of questions about that. <laughs> <laughs> so many oh I did want to point out and this goes back to like relationships um Diana chewing out Liza and basically being like you went behind my back like who the hell told you you were becoming like an editor basically and like chewing her ass out in front of Kelsey I feel like while you know we see it through like the lightheartedness of the episode and like, yeah, Diana's like this kind of person. And, you know, Kelsey immediately is like, oh, well, we're not going to let her ruin our fun or whatever, or like our accomplishment. They're still like, I have heard so many like horror stories about people getting chewed out by their bosses in publishing, whether it's like with the door open and everyone on the floor is hearing, whether it's behind closed doors um, you know, and the fact that like the, the assistants have to run to the bathroom to like sob it out. That part to me, even though it is portrayed in this light heart, like there are still those really toxic work environments in publishing and really toxic, harmful people. So I wanted to point Yeah, that that's out. a great point. It's framed in this comedic sense, but it's actually really awful. <laughs> and if you saw it in real life, you'd be like, wow, what a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Like if my fr- if like I went out to drinks with Liza after that and she was like, well, this happened with Diana. I would have been like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, are you okay? Like, like what? Like yeah. what? It's where like I agree with Diana is saying like her sentiment, but the way she delivered it was inappropriate and really cruel. Yeah, yeah. And there are instances where, you know, I think one of the hard things about this industry is that because it's so opaque and it's not transparent at all and it doesn't like to, like, give out secrets, um, like, sometimes people just don't know where they want to end up at before they, like, go into the industry and they make career changes, right? Um, and sometimes that does mean, like, you know, they get to, like, maybe shadow someone who works in editorial if they're in marketing or, you know, they get to go on informationals and talk with people and, you know, they like end up changing their minds and end up being like, oh, this is where I want to be actually. So like Liza branching out and being like, oh no, actually like I really love being an editor is very like actual like things that happened. Um, but the retaliation and the the chewing out that Diana does like is also a thing that comes with that, like in various levels, whether it's, you know, an editor who gets, Uh, their own book publisher tells during the interview process, like, oh, I also want to be a writer. And then that perspective, like new hire doesn't get hired as an editor because 
oh, all you want to do is just get your book published or, you know, if they are found out to like want to leave for another department, it causes like a whole mess. It, it, ha- it does happen, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. And I didn't think about this too deeply when I was watching it, but you're absolutely right. You know, at this point in Liza's career, a boss should be supportive of any growth opportunities and just thinking like, oh my God, if my boss spoke to me that way, I would definitely be running to the corner to cry. <laughs> like Liza took it very well. <laughs> no, she absolutely did. I'm just like, I did love that scene where Kelsey at the like at the end is like, we're at the, you know, when they go to the bar where, you know, Josh shows the tattoo, um, where she's like, like, Liza, come on, we're at the bar next door. Like, let's have some drinks. Let's like, you know, I that is definitely the thing I would have done with friends. Like, you know what? After this, we're going to Botanica. After this, we're going to the Folly. We're going to go have some drinks, have some rosé. Let's have some uh, truffle fries and like the folly talk it out. oh my god <laughs> the folly <laughs> those that neighborhood bar that they're always in like that was like the like my, like their folly those were the days <laughs> truly so shelly what is the process for you to make an offer to an author for their book mm-hmm. like the you know the the it's, simplified one it's a process yeah yeah yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll try to do a simplified. So I only accept agency submissions. So when I read a submission, you know, hopefully the pitch gets my attention or the first couple pages. I actually, if I'm starting to feel like, oh, this might be one, uh, like, a, a, like when I take, I actually try to read the whole book or the majority of the project, which is really bad because I'm a slow reader. Um, I assist two executive editors. So because I'm still an assistant editor and I work under them, um, it, it, and I'm like so close with my bosses, like so close. So when I get a submission that I really like, I actually go to them and I'm like, Hey, like, I think I want to bring this. And sometimes they act like as my like second reads on it. Once I start prepping to go to acquisitions and like put it on the like agenda, I'm like, Oh, I'm taking this. Um, it takes like several days off my like work week to prep for acquisitions. So that includes like running PLs and then going to, um, you know, doing an acquisitions memo, like looking up comp titles, researching, things like that. I prep all of that, you know, take it to acquisitions, do my spiel. Uh, hopefully I get a yes. And, you know, after I get the yes and all the, you know, parameters, I like to do a phone call to the agent because I feel like it's, better for them to hear that excitement off of my voice sometimes I end up like not catching them and I'm like please call me back <laughs> like I have something to tell you oh I should say going back I do let the agents know like oh hey like I'm you know I might be taking this um and yeah so I do um I do the phone call uh just let them know like hey like you know I have uh, an offer for you on this book and I'm super super excited and I want to be the editor for it and I'm going to send you an email right now with like all the information on it um and that you know either kicks off uh hopefully um negotiations between the agent and I and then you know back and forth back and forth until we the agent says all right we've got a deal and then I have their book <laughs> So when Charles went to Kelsey and said, you can make an offer, <laughs> is that um, is that how it works <laughs> for you? Or does that happen in the acquisitions meeting or? It would happen in the acquisitions okay. meeting. <laughs> like it wouldn't be like, 
like I get like like get um like my one of our like our publisher coming into I don't to my desk and being like, hey, you can make this offer. Like, no, it is like all the conversations in the acquisitions room. Hey, this book is very readable. Go make an offer. <laughs> Go make an offer with like no yeah, parameter, no real <laughs> meaning at all. about it. Um, Kelsey didn't even pitch the book to him. It was, like, it was Liza, and he's like, "Yeah, Kelsey, you can work on this." I know. Book. <laughs> I feel like the writers of Younger like had someone explain the process to them while they were like also doing something else. <laughs> and then they went and, and they yeah. wrote it down from memory. And then that's what happened. Yeah, it is like, you know, it's a process. Like I think when editors and in-house people and maybe sometimes authors when they talk about like, you know, that it takes a, you know, takes a village to make a book. It really does. Like there's so many cogs in the machine to make it, you know, go. Um, as editors, I think my favorite thing about my job is that I become the in-house cheerleader. I'm like, one of the things that you kind of need to have in this industry is just to retain that fan, like the book fan energy, because it helps sustain you through the, through the like bad things. But I'm like such a fangirl for all my author's books. Like, you know, I was the one who if I get like a really fun project, then I know that this is up someone's alley because maybe it's a a, a YA fantasy. And I know someone who really loves reading YA fantasy and I can send that to them and get them hyped up about it before I had acquisitions or something like that. Like, you know, that, I love doing that stuff. I love being <laughs> like, read this book. It's amazing. I love it. Like, yeah, I love that. And as authors, that's really all we can hope for is yeah. <laughs> for our editors to love our books as much as we do. Yeah, I like I absolutely I think this is like it's really all of the like negativity and like the cons and everything aside, like the my favorite part is that I get to work with really incredible people with really incredible authors who are just so like different from one another because they work on different genres or their writing styles. Um, I approach editing. It's always a project by project, also author by author uh, situation, like no author, no, and no book from them is going to need the same amount of things, but it's just so fulfilling when you're like working on this book and hopefully like kids are going to read this. Um, I work in middle grade and YA and it's like, Ah, like I loved YA so much as a teen, and I hope that like teens now are going to have the same kind of feelings towards those books that I get to work on with authors. <laughs> yeah, there is such a magic and responsibility to Kidlet that's really special. Yeah, I was applying to jobs outside of Kidlet when I first was trying to get in, and I honestly don't see myself in any other place other than Kidlet. Um, so I'm looking through my notes and I feel like all of the publishing and critique all sort of the publishing was a critique. It was a mess. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that, that. Um, we that I missed or anything else that we want to talk about? I will just briefly bring up this was more about the episode before, but it came up in the beginning. The whole idea of Liza distributing an unpublished manuscript <laughs> is just incredible to me. <laughs> yeah. Don't ever do that. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Blasting it on Goodreads, Jesus. For people to like campaign 
for it to be published like that's absolutely and why would people want a campaign like, for it they already read it for free what do they care there's suburban white right ladies. that doesn't make any sense <laughs> it the whole thing is like reverse marketing it's just like doesn't make any sense and oh god the cringing when lies is just distributing this book to everyone like that is not your place this is illegal even if it wasn't plagiarized but it's just oh a mess I'm trying to think of like if there's anything quite else. I will say coffee runs amazing. I miss those so much. Like just like talking with friends and like going to get coffee at like the our cafeteria or if we're like, hey, it's time for like bubble tea and it's like three fifteen in the afternoon and we have no meetings and we're just like all slyly like sneaking out. We're not sneaking out, everyone sees us going and then we come back like 10 minutes later with like bubble tea army <laughs> um I do miss those like little little bits of like oh we're just gonna converse over tea or coffee or bowl same tea. my office um is right near Bryant Park so all of the Bryant Park stuff uh, is just so sad now yeah I will say one of the things I do like is the um the office I do feel like like all oh, the shelves with like all the books and like the books being displayed and like the open floor it's actually kind of reminds me of a lot of like my office and I know a lot of offices are kind of transitioning into like that kind of bit um but like a year into this pandemic I'm like desperately missing the office and like having those things um and sneaking into the book room to like gossip or to have a, like a bit of a cry. <laughs> Either or. Sometimes you yeah. know it just gets a little overwhelming. I'm not crying. I'm not crying because it's like a really <laughs> bad environment. I'm crying because sometimes it's like overwhelming. <laughs> um, uh, I also cry when I'm mad, so that happens. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I like the office too, and I, the fact that it's like right on Bryan Park. Like I was like, wow, that's nice. I work in Soho though, so you know. <laughs> but yeah, I also feel like. We've talked a lot about Kelsey, the editor, and the editorial process, and not to mention the fact that editors just wear so many different hats um, within a publisher. Yes, And absolutely. Kelsey just feels like she has a lot of free time on her hands, and no editor that I know has any free time. Absolutely not. No free time. I think, like, the whole, the swanking, I feel like... We don't have three martini lunches anymore, unfortunately. I do love a good martini. Um, but, like, we do do, like, the, the like, dinners and lunches. Um, I used to go and occasionally get, like, drinks with an agent to talk about my list and to get to know them. Um, I have gone out on, like, lunches um, or even bubble tea runs with the authors. Um, there's a lot, a lot of bubble tea love. And um, so, like, that part is somewhat true, but there's no way we're going to, like, 11-11 Madison or something like that or another, like, like Mi Michelin star, five-star restaurant. Like, we definitely will go, like, to a nicer restaurant, but, like, 11-11 um, on an assistant editor or associate budget. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, that's like, you know, we do do that, but the whole Kelsey's just sitting around and just like reading this lush pile um, in general, like 
unfortunately, reading submissions tends to be um, the lowest item on the daily to-do list. And it is because there's so much going on throughout the workday um, that even finding the hour to, to sit down and try to read some submissions and go through them is a little difficult. We have so many meetings, um, whether it's our acquisitions, you know, if we're going to it, or just like a general edit meeting, or if we're having uh, some meetings for other things, marketing meetings, the production status meetings, so many meetings. Um, I thought the pandemic was going to cut some of those in it half. Worse, <laughs> Shelly. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm like, no, do not reach me. Like, I'm just trying to live here. Um, yeah, it's like, there's just so much um, that happens. And, you know, again, like being in-house champions for our authors, um, presenting at launches, um, you know, prepping materials. Like, it's just, there's just editing, the actual editing, you know, like of my authors under contract, right? Like, it, it takes a while. It's, it's a hard thing. Editorial has a lot of things that are hard to balance, not even just like the work-life balance aspect, but just like balancing work. And especially, I'm, you know, I'm a young editor and I, like I said, I assist two executive editors. And while I'm really working now on growing and as an editor and building my list and working with my authors, like I still do a lot of admin stuff for them, which, you know, I actually find very nice because... I can just turn my brain off and listen to a podcast um, and do, or like listen to music and do those admin tasks. But it is, you know, it's, it's a fine, it's balancing still being an assistant and then still and becoming, being an editor. Um, so yes. Um, think, think of your editors at this time. <laughs> We're trying. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, it's a lot. I, I always have to remind myself of that. Yeah. But you know what? I get to, like I said, and I, I feel like a broken record, but I get to work on really great books. Um, and maybe now that I'm 26, I'll have an imprint, <laughs> right? I think that's the next <laughs> logical step. That's the next logical step from assistant editor to head of my own imprint. Um empirical please call me i'm available <laughs> do we want to pick six figure advances yes i think that now is the time okay. to to choose who is getting your six figure advance for this episode um i would say lauren uh Mostly just because I love her and we only have her for a little bit of time. Um, but even then, she's not the messiest character. Her family is. Ugh, her creepy ass father. Um, but, you know, she's just, I, I love her so much. <laughs> That's a good one. I always love Lauren. Yeah, she really always comes through. Yeah. She does. It's like <laughs> that, that. I don't know if you saw that Twitter meme maybe like a week or two ago of like who does the most with the least. Lauren. Every Lauren. Time. Every time. Marissa, what about you? Yeah. Um, this It's a hard one to pick. 
But I think, you know, for all of the all of the shit we talked about Kelsey in this episode, I do think I am going to give it to her. She was my backup. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think agree. that if only because she is supporting Liza and there for her and you know she calls Liza her mentee I don't know she needs a mentor herself Kelsey but that's another conversation but she really does take Liza under her wing and support her through this failed acquisition and at the end of the day she doesn't chew her out for it for the mistake she doesn't give her any shit for it she's just like you know you have a good eye and better luck next time that's a good point I think that is like I you know I love that supportiveness and also like building that confidence of like look yes this was a big mistake and glad it got caught really early not even into the editing process but like building that confidence of like you said like oh she does have a good eye it just so happened (laughs) that it was plagiarized (laughs) kelsey what about you this makes my decision so tough (laughs) (laughs) because i do agree that you know kelsey really stepped up this episode And I even could consider giving it to Liza because she was going to come clean by the end of the episode. But I pick Diana because Diana caught the plagiarism. (laughs) I know that's maybe a controversial choice because of Diana flipping out on Liza. But I I think Diana, for the most part, does go with the flow every time Liza throws something at her. Um, she is typically very supportive of Liza's decisions, um, maybe because they are to her advantage. But um, I think, you know, it would have been a huge mess if they would have started uh, working on this book, if they would have published this book. And I think Diana saved all of them from a very public mess. I'm going to give that Thank to you, you because... <laughs> It, it definitely would have been way, way worse. Yeah, had this the not whole been publishers ex- and had like, uh, their reputation would just be. Oof. And there's like there are like people out there who like try to like scam or, and sometimes this has happened. To me like this, this has happened also with like Hollywood, like like movies and stuff. Like people being like, "Oh, they stole my idea," and like there's always like that carefulness, right? Like of if you're acquiring something or if you find something like, you know, whatever. Yeah. I like that pick also. I think we all had great picks. Honestly, I could pick any of those three characters. I think so too. This was an episode where everything was messy. Everything and everyone (laughs) had their moments, but yeah. Yeah, it's like who is the best of the worst. <laughs> they're a, they're a great team, all of them together. <laughs> Truly. Awesome. So that brings us to the end. And we always close with a podcast recommendation. So Shelly, if there is anything that you are listening to and loving, we would love to hear about it. 
Okay, I have two, and they're actually movie related because I have learned the hard way that I need to have some other interests and things outside publishing. And so I actually listen to a lot of, um, I'm a huge movie person and nothing is better to me than like hearing people talk about like some of my favorite movies, whether they're really bad movies or like great movies. So the first one is We Hate Movies and it's four guys who talk about movies. Um, They talk about the movies they hate, the movies they love. There's so many jokes. There's like impressions. It's a wild, chaotic mess. I absolutely love it. Um, I just finished an episode where they're talking about like vertical limits, which I just rewatched too. Um, and the other movie-oriented one is uh, Girls, Guts, and Giallo, which is done by um, Annie Rose Malamet. Uh, and it is fantastic. It's looking into more subversive, controversial um movies so it's a little not safe for work um but it's really interesting because she brings on her friends and for every episode and they talk about um, a movie like Candyman or uh Texas Chainsaw um or Jennifer's Body the Jennifer's Body episode is fantastic um but trigger warning for like sexual assault mentions and stuff so those are the two I would recommend if you're a huge movie person and you love talk hearing people talk about movies. <laughs> Thank you. I have to add those to my list. I'm always looking for something that's just like I can throw it on and enjoy it for what it is, but I don't need to kind of like yeah. start from the beginning. There's so much pressure, I feel like. Yes. Oh my God. That. Yeah. And like We Hate Movies has like hundreds of episodes, like uh, Girls, Guts, and Giallo. Um, doesn't have as m- nearly as many as we hate movies so there's like it's a really great decent catalog just to go back to and I jump around all the time I just like pick for the movies okay, that I'm interested perfect. in <laughs> right up my alley awesome well Shelly thank you so much for joining us today this was so much fun oh thank you guys like really I love this show so so much um and wish I could be having a crisis at Marie's crisis. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to you'll have to come back um later on as things just get go off the rails. Oh, please. <laughs> please bring me back. I have so many thoughts <laughs> all the time. And we might have to do a book club episode for marriage vacation. I actually have a copy of it at work. <laughs> This is, I got, like, I think a friend from Simon who got it for me. You know, you're not the first (laughs) guest we've had on who has told us that, so. Listen, I feel like it's, like, a little, like, hee-hee, like, publishing treasure. (laughs) Shelly, where can people find you online if you want to be found? (laughs) Ah. Yes. Um, thank you for asking. Uh, y'all can find me at my website. It's just my name. So ShellyMRomero.com. Um, you can also find me on Twitter where I am at uh, constantly, trying not to be on constantly. And that my handle is underscore SM Romero. And that is Romero like Godfather of Zombie Movies, George A. <laughs> Romero. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. We'll talk soon. Now we are closing the book on this episode of Older and Wiser. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at OlderWiserCast. 
I'm at Marissa Cantor on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Kelsey Rodkey on Twitter and at KRodK on Instagram. We'll see you next Wednesday to continue our discussion of all things publishing on Younger. The end. Bye.